Hi, I'm Sandy Chapin, Director of Exhibition and Events at SEMI, and you're listening to the 3D Insights Podcast, the official SemiCon West Hybrid 2021 Podcast. SEMI is the Global Industry Association representing the electronics, manufacturing, and design supply chain, connecting over 2,400 member companies and 1.3 million professionals worldwide. Learn more at SEMI.org. We are so excited to be hosting SemiCon West Hybrid 2021 in person at the Moscone Center in San Francisco and virtually. We look forward to seeing you there. Be sure to listen along as we bring you preview episodes as well as live recordings from the show floor. Hi, everyone. This is Francoise Von Trapp of the 3D Insights Podcast, and I'm here recording live at SemiCon West Hybrid 2021. And this week in the Workforce Development Pavilion, one of the overarching topics has been how to address one of the current supply chain crises. Not the chip shortage, but the talent shortage. And if you've been following the news, you know that in response to the chip shortage, chip manufacturers and their suppliers are adding capacity at a furious pace. According to SEMI, 29 new fabs will break ground globally between now and 2022. But who's going to staff them? With 34,000 current vacancies in the semiconductor industry worldwide, companies large and small are already competing for the same talent pool. So to here with me today to talk about this is Debbie Gustafson of Energetic, Scott Balliger of Edwards Vacuum, and Emma Cheer of Global Foundries. They're going to share their insights and provide some examples of what their companies are doing to both retain their existing workforce and recruit the next generation of semiconductor talent. So thanks for joining me today, guys. Can you each tell me a little bit about yourself and your roles at companies, uh, your companies? How about if you start, Emma? Okay. Hi, I'm Emma Cheer. I'm the Global Diversity and Inclusion Leader for Global Foundries. Uh, Global Foundries is a semiconductor manufacturing company. We've got 15,000 employees split between Singapore, Dresden, Germany, and the U.S. with small uh, satellite sites in Bulgaria and in India, Taiwan, China. So um, we're all over. And you're leading the, the DEI efforts? Yes. Yes. I'm the Global Diversity Inclusion Leader. Okay. Okay. And Scott, how about you? Yeah, thank you, uh, Francois. It's really a pleasure to be here and uh, uh, really great to get out and see everybody face to face again. So fantastic. Uh, not wishing to date myself. Uh, I've been in the industry well over 30 years. In fact, I think this is my 30th Semicon West. Wow. Uh, but uh, I'm the vice president and general manager for Edwards in North America. Okay. So I head up the group that deals with the semiconductor part of our business. Okay. And I've been with Edwards for about 13 years now. Okay, great. And Debbie. including us today to talk about diversity and inclusion. I'm Debbie Gustafson. I'm the CEO of Energetic Technology. Energetic is a manufacturer of high-brightness light sources and supply to the semiconductor equipment companies. We're a small company. We have about 70 employees, and we were acquired about four years ago, and we're a wholly-owned subsidiary of a Japanese company, Hamamatsu Photonics. Okay, thanks. All right, so let's dive in here. So the talent shortage isn't new. Um, according to a 2017 Deloitte semi-survey, they found that 82% of semiconductor industry executives reported a, sorted, a shortage of quality job candidates. So how has the pandemic contributed to this situation? And what are you seeing at your respective companies? Okay, um, 
Yeah. So what what we've um, what we've seen is that um, a lot of social and um, uh, uh, geopolitical factors all coming together that really have driven this talent challenge that we're in. We have um, many semiconductor companies that are going to be building fabricators in the U.S. We also saw during the pandemic a lot of our talent take a break uh, to take care of their children um, because of their concerns around the public health crisis. And so, um, you know, we, we see these things. We're, we're looking at what we can do to invest, um, how we create employee value propositions to keep and retain our talent, and how we look at outsourcing and outreach, excuse me, how we look at outreach um, to try to attract talent. The gap that's being created in the workforce for us starts largely with females. And the, the female population are the folks that are dropping out of the industry by far, significantly more than men. And uh, the problem with that is a lot of them are making a decision not to come back. And so what has the pandemic contributed to that? Because the female has typically been the person that has to go back and look after the household and the family. That changes in certain environments, but historically that's been the case. And so with the pandemic being around, the, the challenges with childcare and quarantining and so forth and so on, it really has put a burden on the female in the household. So. Uh, this pandemic can't go away soon enough for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I bet for any of us, I think. Um, so, Debbie, how about Energetic? You have a smaller company, so I'm sure that your situation has been a little bit bigger than, you know, we have a, a foundry, we have a an equipment supplier, and then Energetic equipment, so subsystems, similar to, to what, what Scott does at Edwards, right? We have similar customer base, but yes, every time you lose an employee, it's a, it's a huge hit for somebody like Energetic to survive through. We're growing very rapidly. Um, so retention has been really important during this uh, pandemic mm -hmm. situation. And for us, it's been all about flexibility. How can we be more flexible with our workforce so they can take care of their kids, homeschool, when they had to last year during really the schools being shut, um, and also get their work done when they can. And I think, uh, Scott and I talked earlier, but I think being flexible about just get your job done. It doesn't matter if it's two in the morning or it's during working hours, right? But really making people feel comfortable that you do have a flexibility. Um, and I think it's taught us a lot, this pandemic, because prior to that, we didn't have work from home. There was not really a work from home thing. Flexibility, sure. Um, but flexibility in the office at some point during the day. But we've really learned a lot about how to make it a comfortable place so that people aren't leaving. Although, do you know, have people struggled with having to work, even though it's flexible? You know, when you mentioned about get your work done at 2 in the morning if you need to. Have, have we lightened the workload at all? Or do we have the same expectations? Well, wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, with the growth in the semiconductor industry, I think it's the opposite, right? I think that we can't hire fast enough to to lighten the workload, but I think lighten the expectations, right? Yeah. So that if you, absolutely, if you can't get it done, your kids are sick or you need to, people have had 
you know, we've lost a lot of parents at, at Energetic of, to, due to COVID. Uh, and, and that's been really hard on people, like dealing with that, that uh, sadness and, and trying to maintain their work. But in that case, yes, flexibility, again, is, is yeah. important. So the $64 million question, so how do we increase the talent pool? How do we do it? Emma? Well, I think it, <clears throat> it goes to a lot of the work that SEMI is doing on workforce development. And we also have to look at um, talent pools across the globe in different, in different locations. We were just talking about flexibility and why that's so important. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are starting to look at, you know, you can work anywhere anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. right, remotely. And so I do think that as we look at the workforce development challenges, not only do we need a lot of investment in our schools, primary schools, high schools, but we also need to look at opening the aperture of sourcing um, out in um, the um, adjacent industries, within the industry, and globally. Okay. Um, you know, why do you feel that diversity and inclusion is in technology is critical for business? I'd be happy to, to give you a few thoughts on that I have. I, I think, you know, first of all, having diversity is critical for making good decisions. That I think that um, diverse, diversity of thought helps companies grow. And being able to look around and have a diverse pool of people is critical for that success. In order to do that, sometimes you have to lighten the load on the expectations in hiring. So what you see is, you might say, no, they absolutely have to have 10 years experience in this very specific thing. So I think now we need to say, maybe we can't find that, but how about bringing people in that have the capabilities and allowing them and training them to get to that next level and continuing to train our, our own staff to get to that next level, right? Those are the kind of things will help us in the semiconductor industry grow because we are gonna have to take people from outside of this industry. There's not 34,000 people with 15 years of semiconductor equipment just sitting out there waiting for a job. So we need to continue to train and, and teach and, and be okay to bring someone in that isn't that already rock star that did the job already. So. What about um, roles that aren't necessarily technology-based? Is that part of the hiring, um, the, the talent that's needed as well? Absolutely. It's across the board. I mean, you, you have you know, technicians, you have marketing people, you have salespeople, you have admins. Um, all kinds of, of people are needed in this industry. Yeah, pretty much any job that's out there, any degree or role that's out there could find a place in the semiconductor industry, right? Absolutely. So how do we inspire people and get the word out that it's actually a pretty cool place to work? Yeah. So we, we do that in a couple of different ways. Uh, we participate in job fairs. We work very closely with universities. You know, in New York, for instance, we have a great program at SUNY Poly with Michael Fancher and his team. So we have those kind of outreaches. We work with recruiting agencies that embrace the same sort of value. But I, I think you have to be innovative and look to different sources these days, yeah. right? And so you explore things like STEM programs or mm -hmm. FIRST Robotics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot, lot of things out there that we just have not touched in the past. And so looking for internships, looking for those kind of uh, techniques is really something that's starting to pay off for us. And we really have to start inspiring people earlier, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. At the high school level. 
I'm, I'm thinking even maybe like, even before even before that yeah, yeah. I, yeah like elementary school yeah. really you know we talk about um, role playing you know kids role play they play let's play store let's play <laughs> school and let's play clean room parents of young children who work in the industry you know take your bring your kid to work day um, you know get them dressed up in a in a clean room suit and show them what it's like so that they really understand from early on mm -hmm. what mom and dad do all day. Yeah. I also think it's important to connect the work that the semiconductor industry is doing mm -hmm. to um, uh, outcomes, right? It's a very complex uh, product outcomes, right? Right. It's a very complex manufacturing process. It's a complex industry, but when you really put it, um, bring it home and show, I think students and um, collegiates, what the output of the products are that the semiconductor industry produces. It really connects the work that we do, the products that we develop, the technologies that we enable um, with um, humankind. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. You know, and I'm thinking a lot of students are coming out, the millennials really want to work in a sustainable environment, in a sustainable company. Absolutely. And they don't see the semiconductor industry actually as that yet. As much as, you know, that's a message we have to get out about how the semiconductor industry is supporting sustainable, a, a, a sustainable world. And the devices that we help develop can help in, in develop in supporting a sustainable world. But, um, you know, they want to work at the Facebooks. They want to develop apps. They want to work at Google. They want, you know, they, they, they see the culture and they, you know, how do we show them that, it can be just as much fun working for a semiconductor equipment supplier. Innovation is everywhere, right? And right now, the semiconductor industry, the innovation is in tremendous. There's a, and people are, innovation brings excitement in a company. And I think now that there's a chip shortage, people do know about the semiconductor industry. I mean, my whole family was like, now I know what you do after you've been doing it for 30 years. I figured it out. Um, but so I think that sharing that and any company, Facebook, Google, you can add that fun company culture. We have it at Energetic, I would say. Okay, so let's shift a little bit back to the inclusion conversation. What does an inclusive work environment look like? I, I think it's where everyone feels a sense of belonging and feels that they're valued, what the work that they're doing. Um, that, and I really think it starts with the manager. You know, people leave companies because of their, their managers. And so um, when you're looking at um, your leadership, you really need to train them about how to connect with their employees um, we, we continuously see data in our, um, our engagement surveys of how inclusion is, is correlates to belonging, belonging correlates to engagement. So at the end of the day, if you can really connect with your employees and make sure your leaders understand that this is important other than, you know, your business deliverables, but really connecting with your employees is important, it's going to eventually drive engagement and productivity and efficiencies and morale. I was just going to add to that, uh, Emma, is that uh, I think, uh, you know, inclusion starts with eliminating some behaviors of the past, right? And so unconscious bias, for example, training your people, your managers to, to remove those kind of thought processes and communication uh, methods that aren't appropriate anymore, quite frankly. 
And were so, they ever appropriate? Were they ever appropriate? Yeah, <laughs> that's the question. Exactly. <laughs> and so you know, treating people with mutual respect, eliminating discrimination, including people in your discussion, making people you know uninhibited with respect to speaking out and sharing their view and opinion, works wonders. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, what do you think comes first? You know, we've got the chicken and egg, and egg situation. Does diversity come first, or inclusion comes first? Do you create, do you create a, an inclusive workplace so that you can draw a diverse, um, t- you know, a, ta- a diverse talent pool? What's your experience with that? I'm, I'm very clear from my perspective that without inclusion or at least the, per- the, the, the things in place that allow inclusion, you're not going to get people to join your company, right? You might not already have an inclusive workforce. But if you don't have the things in place, and I think probably, Emma, you're doing a lot of that now, right, with Global mm-hmm. Foundries, that allows people to come in and go, oh, look, they, you know, it is a flexible environment. They do have um, things that I need in my life that, that is going to make me feel comfortable working here. Right. Um, but you've got to have those trailblazers that are going to be the first one in there um, to say, okay. And once you get them, I think really making sure that it's a comfortable place for everybody to work. But maybe you have some yeah. other thoughts on that. Well, yeah. I was even going to ask you, Emma, that you know your role, your your job description and position, I would imagine, didn't exist five years ago at Global Foundries. No, it didn't. It's only two and a half years old, actually. And um, we have this debate a lot around diversity and inclusion. Ultimately, I think that the important, uh, the most important thing is to have an inclusive culture. Clearly, yes, you have to have representation. People need to see other folks like them at your company. Um, but if you, if, if, if you can't retain your employees, you're not going to retain... You know, you're not going to retain that talent. You're not going to grow that talent. You're not going to grow your representation and grow the diversity of thought and innovation and everything that you need um, to be successful. So we've put a lot of emphasis on driving and building an inclusive culture mm-hmm. and what that looks like and what that means. Because ultimately, when employees are um, looking at Global Foundries, they want to see that there are programs that support um, underrepresented groups. They want to see that... Um, there's a network and a culture and a connection that they can come into. Um, so I, I, I think it's inclusion. I think inclusion comes, comes, first. comes first. Yeah. And is it look different in different regions of the world? I mean, this is a global industry and I would imagine that the way different cultures handle, and I, I guess global foundries is a good example of having places all over the world. Do you have to have different policies at different locations? Um, <clears throat> We um, policies do generally um, uh, are established within each region. Um, We have some global policies, though, and we have global philosophies and we have values that apply to the whole company. But yes, we definitely see differences in the different regions. but it doesn't mean that you don't do the work. It means that you do it differently and you regionally contextualize it to the nuances that are happening in those regions. And so it, it shows up differently. And so you just need to understand the work that you're doing um, is going to have to be adapted based on the region that you're in. But ultimately, there's overarching values and goals that remain the same. Okay. Um, is it different? Diversity and inclusion handled differently at large companies versus a small company, do you think? 
Um, I, I don't think so, and I would hope not. Right? It doesn't really matter. And uh, I would agree with uh, Debbie and Emma that, you know, if you don't have a good inclusion program, if you don't treat people, people equitably, it doesn't matter what your diversity goals are, right? Whether it's gender or race or what you have you, you've got to have those two elements in place and people need to see that. Then you can move to the next step of like, looking for a female or somebody in, from a different race or color or creed. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, those are, are key points and uh, it, it should go in a big organization or a small one, right? Okay. Again, yeah. because I think it's the right thing to do. Is it easier to implement at a smaller company than a large company, though? Well, you know, for me, it's a little easier because I've been the CEO. If you have a woman as at the top as a CEO, you know, making sure that culture is, is within that organization is easier. But as we've grown, now you might say 70 people have not grown, but you get to a point you hire a lot of managers in and culturally they're different unless you're on top of what's happening. Um, they can quickly change cult- culture and organization. So I think you always, big organization, small organization, have to make sure that's very clear what your values are, right? Forget about policies, but what are your values? What do you expect? How your managers are expected to treat their employees? Shipping people or executives, everybody should be treated the same. That's how our values are at Energetic. And I've seen as we grow that some things might come in between and we need to really make sure that that happens. Um, So easier or not, it's still the semiconductor industry. It's really hard to to have a very diverse um, population of employees. And I think, as I mentioned before, you have to be... You have to be clear that you're going to interview. If you're going to interview for an executive or you're going to interview for an for engineer, that you want to see a diverse population of people that are getting interviewed mm-hmm. and, and really try yeah. to, to bring and, them And more. it's going to take time, right? I mean, it's, and you can't change these things <laughs> overnight. Um, you know, Scott, speaking of being a woman as a CEO, you are, you know, uh, we're here talking about diversity and inclusion, and you are an old white guy with a VP title. Mm-hmm. So um, how are you so passionate about this cause, or why are you so passionate about this cause? Well, I think it starts with, uh, with uh, one word called relationships, right? And relationships have always been critical in my success in this industry because you have to have relationships with people in order to get along, to get people to buy things, to work through the good times and the bad things. And so if you value relationship with people, it just becomes easy, you know, to include and have equity and treat them with fairness and so forth, because it's a principle that you follow. So without a good relationship, removing stereotypes and, and, you know, behaviors of the past is part of that. It's a learning process. I think that, you know, we're at the frontier of this whole program. We take our best known methods and try to share those with others in Taiwan or China or Korea, for instance, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. But I, I think it's a fundamental understanding that the relationship that you have with one another and your employees is critical. Because if you don't have that, then it's hard to do much else. Yeah, I think it's really important to have a male allyship in this industry. Yeah, you know, the more allies that we can get mm-hmm. of you know the people who have started it, have yeah. been in the majority, right. and, um, and are willing to open it up and see the benefits of having a diverse workforce and mm-hmm. a diverse talent pool with the different ideas, with the different needs. You know, everybody comes to it with a different perspective. And and we have seen that innovation increases and productivity and profitability, right? With mm-hmm. a diverse and inclusive 
workforce. And we've, we've been talking about that for several years. So it's nice to see it shift into action, you know, and where companies are actually actively pursuing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. So, you know, in fact, uh, if you look at some of the McKinsey material, uh, they've uh, developed a way to track this in certain organizations. And uh, they've proven that, you know, executive teams that practice diversity, they have those kind of groups actually are more profitable mm -hmm. and can be as much as 30% more profitable. So in this day and age when everything is tight and we're working hard to make money, if you can get profitability out of a team that's so efficient, innovative, creative, and driving the business together, it, it's a great payoff. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm really excited about this. I could, you know, I, I would love to continue this conversation. Yeah. We're going to have to wrap it up for now, but I would love to invite you all back you know, let's see where, where this goes, how, you know, let's follow the progress and talk about it more. And uh, so I really appreciate, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank Great you. opportunity. Thank you. There's lots more to come. So tune in next time on the 3D Insights podcast.